Hi everyone, you are listening to Manzo Collective Podcast. You know, I couldn't sleep last night, you know, like I just couldn't sleep because I, as I said, I have like a little bit too high of, of these goals and, and um, you know, it feels like, am I actually going to reach it or not? You know, like it's it's like it just keeps me up at night and I wake mm. up in the morning. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. Right. Like, let's let's just, you know, go through this day as hard as we can. And uh, I think I think that's my fuel, you know, like it's really my fuel to actually really wake up in the morning and actually do it. I think if I set my goals like reasonable that I can achieve every single day, I'm like, yep, yeah, I just did that. You know, like, ah, uh, you know, I just feel a little bit lazier. But uh, usually if I'm, if I'm setting goals like way too high, like maybe like a hundred times higher than, than actually what I'm supposed to do. If I get like only 10% of that, even though they say that, um, you know, like if you achieve your goals, you feel satisfied. I don't think, you know, like I think you, you shouldn't achieve your goals now. You should achieve them, you know, like you, they need to be as high as, as, as possible. So, so it's almost impossible to, to reach them. And uh, I had this conversation this morning with a friend of mine and uh, it was, uh, I was like, dude, like, I don't know if I, if I can, if I can do this, you know, like, I don't know if this is, you know, possible, but, um, but there are obviously there are ways, uh, ways to do things. And, and, um, but uh, let me introduce you first, man, like Philip, bro, like, thank you so much for, for, for joining the, the, the episode. It's, it's really, uh, uh, you are currently, mo- I'm looking at the screen here on my right side. You are currently now a 3D motion designer at uh, Plus One, which is, a place in Amsterdam. I, I've been there. I know some people there. I mean, Noam from back, you know, really back in the day. And uh, it's cool, man. It's really cool to have you on a podcast. I, w- I wanted to, I wanted to thank you first for for coming to the podcast, but also, you know, ask you, uh, how did you actually end up as a as a three D motion designer, which is uh, which could be an unfamiliar, you know, um, title for 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 some listeners, but I think most of them they know what it is. But um, but how did you? Where did you start, and how did you end up to this uh, position today? Yeah, first of all, I'm also really happy to be here. It's so cool. I'm such a big fan. I listen to your podcast so many times. It's really cool that you do that. Thanks, man. And yeah, I think that was a a long journey. And for me, becoming a motion designer was basically just the natural outcome of curiosity and getting familiar with the internet. So I was thinking when was actually the starting point of this journey and I would say it was when I was around seven I was at the gymnastics training I came home and my dad he had a computer in his home office and I was never really sitting down there or maybe just playing some games and one night I was going into the internet and I remember it was the very first time that I discovered surfing that I I went into a tunnel of clicking a link after link and Two hours later, I was ending up somewhere completely else, which was just mind-blowing for a kid's brain. And then I would say the computer was always a bit of like the counterpart to regular school and education. I still remember like being in elementary school. I was uh, nearly failing a math exam to actually go to the higher school because I was playing this browser game and for that browser game you had to actually you could do like aliens pages so with 
eight, I was learning HTML and CSS. And I was learning Photoshop to making like banners for this browser game. And it was just so much fun and uh, yeah, a game. And uh, this journey actually continued. Like I was not a, always a nerd in a way that I didn't have friends or didn't play sports or anything like that. But also when I was uh, later in high school, uh, I was at some point with 15, 16, starting going out a lot and skipping a lot of, of classes. And what I would do instead, I would sit at home the whole day playing Counter-Strike, which on a superficial level, obviously, that's not what your parents want you to do. That's not what the teachers want you to do. And I was, yeah, I was taking a lot of uh, bad repercussion for that. But it was funny because in Counter-Strike, you had the very competitive players, the eSport players, and I was first really into that. But then you also had the creative side of the game, which was like the movie makers. And funny enough, you know, they even were allowing to cheat if you made a nice kill, yeah, which was seen super bad. But I found it so cool. And then I learned Sony Vegas and at some point even After Effects. And for me, that's amazing that you have like a bunch of 14 year old kids like setting up this whole infrastructure with team viewer, making tutorials, teaching each other. And yeah, just recently I was actually curious, like what happened to, I remember there was one guy who was called Danny Barron and he did the whole clip in After Effects, which was like super high level back then. And yeah, actually I think he went in to Hollywood and into VFX as well later on, which is also super cool. Yeah, that's 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 an issue. I was when you were talking uh, at the same time. I was thinking exactly about that. I was thinking. I want. I wanted to ask you that question: where these guys have end up? And obviously, you know, like it's almost like it's almost like a selection. You know, like it's almost like a natural selection that happens in the beginning. You know, parents are, are they care about their kids, of course. But uh, but at the end of the day, we find ways, right? We find ways like where where to end up and look at yourself like you like from 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 gaming to motion design i mean for for both cases you need you need like a really high-end computer you know what i mean like you need you know a good you know like a great gpu card and stuff so it's almost on the same rhythm and it rhymes almost on on the same place so so that makes a lot of sense so i think i think you know like um uh, doing that and, and ending up in a, in a position where where you are today is actually a great a great an interesting journey and um, and plus one is a is, is a really cool space as well in Amsterdam but I wanted to ask you about um, what, what are the what are the challenges that you have basically today um, you know with with the tools that we have uh, in 3d with um, with anything that has to do with you know improvement uh, you know a little bit more on the technical side what are the what are the challenges that you have in terms of um, you know using tools and what are the tools actually that you are using today so so the listeners can be a little bit more familiar with that yeah so i started out with cinema 4d as most people in school but i yeah, very quickly, I was transitioning actually with Simon Holmedal's first Houdini tutorial. I was transitioning to Houdini 
And damn, that was a hard ride, I think. It was the hardest thing I ever took on in my life. And I quit a lot of times. Yeah, <laughs> I remember with the, <laughs> I remember with the espresso, right? Like, I mean, he was, uh, he was, he was really good at that, um, and he was pushing the boundaries even of cinema footy back then on on Vimeo. Remember that? Yeah. Those videos on Vimeo with the with the car and the 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 oh man, the rendering was also awesome. Like he he had a uh, two sides. One side was aesthetically it was beautiful, and on the other side was like technically like dude, how did you make that in 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 such a cinema footy wasn't that great at the time to be honest with you. Yeah, but I think that's actually the thing that it's such a technical realm and on the other side yeah you also have to be artistic and creative and see the beauty and sometimes i feel really feel like that's two opposing sides of the brains which it is and yeah for me that was actually still a bit of a challenge to on the one side getting really deep into the technical stuff but then kind of relaxing and just seeing the image for being beautiful and not overanalyzing and overrationalizing too much mm. yeah yeah that's that's uh, so how how did you cuz i've seen your i've seen your work on instagram i think i also just clicked on follow as well but uh, uh so so how how i see i see that you have a really uh interesting style like very minimalistic um and also like uh, you use a lot of um uh reflections and and glasses you know glass kind of you know um i forgot that the the technical term but uh it's gonna come at some point uh which do you the one they use for for uh refractions indeed yeah so that's that, that's something that you use a lot so where where do you get your inspiration and where does so how do you implement that in, in terms of you know in your visual arts yeah i have to say that i think i'm very influenced with the first studio i worked for which was on formative i think they have a very yeah, berlin right in berlin exactly they have a very special style and yeah, we always tr I actually what I learned there is that nice images often can come out of abstraction. And that's something I also find really interesting because with Houdini, obviously a lot of the work that is done there is very literal, like trying to simulate stuff very realistic. And with this movement that started with Simon Holmedal and all those designers and Tagma going... G-Monk as well, with, with the lighting. Yeah, taking those VFX tools to do something a bit more experimental and abstract. Yeah, that's really where it still lies for me, trying to mm. visualize the unseen and making an image that is always on the brink of the recognizable right that's it's so funny man it's so funny that we i i really resonate with you exactly on this i think we grow up in the same time in terms of you know motion graphics and the uh, vimeo was the thing where like i was on vimeo all day long because i was just waiting until you know i either simon you know posted something or uh, g monk posted something or or even you know like other studios buck or uh, you know just 2d stuff as well like i was also inspired by 2d stuff 
uh it was really it's into also man versus machine you know like man where when when simon was there like every nike spot i was like how like you know i was always like how did you make how did you combine this technical uh technicality plus the motion plus the lighting like in one per- like how it's it was so impressive it was so impressive especially with the hyper realistic you know and the motion blur and all of that was just combining one time it was just like a golden age for motion graphics and i think it's still so interesting how it exploded because i'm relatively new to the space i would say i only started in 2015 while yeah other people are at it since 20 years but just when sure. i was starting out there was not so much material and i just feel in those last eight years now you have so many talks so many tutorials especially with houdini i remember back then you had like a lot of tutorials for houdini 10 and stuff and yeah mm. now it's already everything is huge and the mountain yeah. collective podcast i think it's also something that yeah you wouldn't have eight years ago maybe in a different form but not so much True. well so so that's that's a that's a great turn that we are taking right now which is you know the oversaturation of not only 3d in general but also you know other tools that are coming in line such as uh i i've seen you also you know working with um uh dali uh you know the the, um, the ai tool like the artificial intelligence tool to generate some some you know some imagery that's another topic right like it's a whole different topic that i'm trying to touch up on with interesting people such as you i had another podcast previously with the, with another guy for freelancer at buck and um and another guy from la costa so just really to see what are from different you know spaces to see what are the um what are the thoughts behind this what i what are you what is your first thought when you saw when you saw AI can generate an interesting, like a good looking image. Like I, I I'm, honestly, Mid Journey makes some really interesting images, like honestly. Yeah, first of all, it was just the feeling of chasing the dragon because <laughs> actually I just came across one prompt that kind of really fitted into this niche images I always wanted to make, but never got around with starting a full-time job and everything. It just been like edit constantly, clicking, 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 <laughs> saving, collecting. It was, yeah, such a cool feeling. And mm. so weird because you were not really creating it, but you still felt this sense of ownership because it felt so personal because, yeah, uh, interesting. Um, so, so this this uh, for, for the listeners, a prompt is basically a text, right? Like a combination of words that you um, that 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 a user types in this um, this uh, this tool, Midjourney, I think in this case, or Dali. I don't know which one do you use. I use both. Okay, so uh, in my case, I used uh, Midjourney like only for. I was uh, like my response was ter- I was terrified like I was like dude like no like I mean, I've been working on this for the last 10 years man like it's it, this looks really realistic like this, like how same question like how is this possible so I, I tried it twice and after that I just 
took a few steps back to just to just basically to take a, the bigger picture um and, and ask people first uh, before i get because you know, i i'm like you i'm obsessed like if i'm gonna go in there i'm just gonna stay there for a long time <laughs> you know like i'm gonna try every single word and see what what i can combine but uh f- but in your case so you were excited about it right like you were you were excited about this this uh, this new tool i have to say i was first super exciting excited and <laughs> Then that feeling kind of wore off, the novelty mm. wore off. And then I think I had a bit of a existential crisis. Like I, it was not really, I didn't really feel it so much at the time, but we had like this great project where we can just create art that will be displayed on huge screens in Amsterdam in a, in a big building. And that is like the perfect brief that you can have as a motion designer I, yeah i mean that's really what you want to do and in the first couple of days i was really like ah oh, what's going on with me why do i feel such a slack and mm. i think it was actually all this emotional input of like going on linkedin and seeing such great images done so quickly that you're like ah oh, I gonna spend like three or four days to create that image and you can just like put it out, put it out, put it out. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's still only an image. And I mean, where I still differentiate it is that it's not in motion and it's only an image without context and without a system behind it if you create a houdini scene you have like a lot of modular systems and you there's so much thought going into it while until like up until now with those ai image generators it's a bit of a lucky punch and you can steer it a bit but yeah I, i try to still like take pride in being able to pulling it off of the old school mm. way yeah i mean that's that's the question right like so to my to my understanding to this point now i might be i, I might be correcting myself in the future right but uh to my understanding it's that um it's a it's it's some it's an image that you know for the majority of people like the, for the commercial side of you know like if 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 let's say the 90 percent of people if we have a pool, like 90% on the, on the right side, on the left side and 10% on the right side, the 90% wouldn't see what we see, right? Like, because they don't have the eyes that we are trained with. And uh, the, the 10%, which is, you know, the artists, the musicians maybe as well, because they feel the same way we, we understand this, the art scene. And um, and also maybe art collectors, um, the, the, the finances, basically, the investors, they also see those values because they see the value behind the image, not the actual image itself. So I think the 90%, that's, you know, to my understanding, the 90% can be, you know, generating those images maybe for thumbnails or, you know, something that you use for YouTube or whatever, you know, like a small, small image that you need to just, you know, quickly, instead of downloading it from the internet, you basically search that on, on, on this tool. Sometimes I also do that, right? Like I also research for some some references or whatever, just mm-hmm. to take some few elements from it, right? We, we, we do Pinterest, right? Pinterest is a big thing. Yeah. I'm really happy that you mentioned Pinterest because I feel I had this feeling before 
when I, as an intern at Onformative, I had to create uh, pitch decks and I was sometimes scrolling Pinterest like three, three days in a row, eight hours a day. And that's also when I, for the first time, felt that this magic of beautiful image that I always felt was just wearing off. Because after seeing beautiful image after beautiful image after beautiful image, and then it's just an image and it loses all the value. It could be the nicest image in the world. You see, it's like what you said, oversaturation. And that's also why for me, it's always really special if you can make an exhibition or a spatial installation. I had this experience before at uni when we were doing a very big project for the tech open air in Berlin, where we could like set up a whole very nice space with a lot of concrete, with like 16 projectors, like 20 speakers to do spatial audio, like having all the DMX set up to also make the lights. And then, yeah, seeing people sitting in that space, like talking to each other and enjoying it, and not just seeing your work on a small phone, that felt so, so different than, yeah, just making something for a screen and get scrolled upon on Instagram. Mm -hmm. so yeah, so, really... so that's, yeah, I think that's, that's exactly the difference between these two. However, you know, it's still 90%, it's still the majority of people. It's almost like, uh, like Hermes and H&M, right? Like, it's almost like, what do you want to buy as a consumer? Do you want to look at a picture that is actually really handcrafted or high quality handcrafted or, um, I don't, or, or, you know, like a fast food or fast, you know, fashion, whatever, or fast image or fast art. Let's go. Maybe that's, that's the new term, like fast art. Uh, it's almost like, you know, going to the, uh, to the kebab or something you know but mm. <laughs> get, get like a but um i had a i had a friend of mine who um who told me that there might be some interesting you know curves happening in the future where people will start to lean into the old school way of doing let, let's say stop motion you know you know that kind of you know going a little bit back to the traditional like going even deeper than or a little bit far away from technology and obviously using te technology to to make interest you know to set to differentiate between ai works and 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 uh, and, and and art itself which is an interesting thought that he had, but uh, also he came up with something else uh, when we were talking before the podcast uh, a few few days ago. Uh, you came with this interesting website, which is called Rachel is Not Real, and uh, yes. yeah, that that was that was an interesting th thought process where you you came up with this uh, systematic you know design idea where where something like for the people who are listening maybe you can check it out it's a uh, Rachel is not real i think it's a website uh, also in instagram but um but uh, maybe you can explain actually better than me uh, yes it's a project done by matthias winkelmann a very good 3d motion designer and art director as well and yeah it's now already two years old but i find it really interesting because it was his take on this oversaturation of images and yeah let me start from the beginning so how i came about this project i was just like 
on Instagram, like every day, I saw people liking this account. I was thinking, yeah, looks nice. Uh, like Rachel, it was like, a, it was it was a, the name of a woman. So I thought, yeah, it's just another new motion designer. She's just started out, but she's already doing really great stuff and looks super cool. And I liked it and liked it and liked it. And at some point I was like, okay, she's maybe, but like, it's nice to have a defined style, but she has a very defined style. <laughs> and I think it was oh, like half a year later or so that Matthias, he actually got the cat out of the bag and he was mm. telling the world that Rachel is not a real person, but it's uh, basically a bot that creates those images by itself. I think it's actually his computer starting up in his flat every day, creating the image automatically, in uploading it to Instagram automatically, even writing captures, reading out the image data automatically, so then shutting down again. And I think his thought was already along those terms of oversaturation of images and what do they even mean if, yeah, you can not do five, but you can do 50,000. And uh, yeah, I think he even sold like the Rachel's next, I'm not sure it was 5,000 or 50, I think 5,000 images that she will create as like one collection. And I think it's a very interesting art project that that touches upon those, yeah. Yeah, the, I think it's an interesting, it's a really interesting, you know, experiment for, uh, it's almost, it's almost like a manual AI, right? It's almost like an actual, you know, manual AI where, where it starts with the inputs uh, in Houdini. Uh, he used Houdini, right, as a software? Uh, Houdini yes. and Unreal. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's almost like the manual way of doing AI, right? Like it generates, you know, an, a, a systematic... I don't know. That's actually a good question. Like, I don't know how AI really works. I might get someone on a podcast that actually is from, you know, artificial intelligence, you know, some kind of, some kind of department that I really want to understand what is the process of AI? Where does it start? Where does, I think it's exactly what, what this guy with, with Rachel is not real have done. You know, it's it probably, it's probably like a, some, some kind of notes, you know, they follow each other. Well, uh, using some database, obviously some big database from 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 the internet to to generate those. It could be interesting, you know, podcast to have to specify that on uh, on this specifically, you know, systematic design. But uh, but thanks for that, man. It's really it's really interesting how 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 he have done it, but also how he created almost like a new way of 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 generating images, which 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 brings us to 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 the topic of you know ethics and and monetization like so he actually monetized from it uh, afterwards which uh, which is interesting so what are what are your thoughts about you know this 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 curve that 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 it takes in terms of monetization but also in in new professions what what are the new jobs that you would think that that uh, ai would provide us in terms of monetizations, I think you already have quite a big crowd of artists that are really opposing AI right mm -hmm. now. You had this whole art station movement. Of, yeah, I think art station actually banned AI art from their platform. Yeah, and true. there are a lot of people complaining about people selling AI art. 
And yeah, I have to say, I feel it's like such a broad topic, like this AI now we're talking about it in arts, but yeah, it will be present in a lot of professions. And I really feel that my ego, it would be my ego speaking, trying to oppose it because it's it's there already and I feel we have to, to roll with it. And yeah, for now, what I'm more concerned with is that it's a bl somewhat of a black box and all also with yeah how the computer evolved i feel that people that got started with computers earlier you know like my dad when he was on a computer he still had to type in dos commands and things like that they were really on the yeah really still on the coding side of stuff and maybe for us we also still had to learn a lot of the hardware things and figure a lot of stuff out but then I think, yeah, just like maybe even younger persons that were already growing up with like the perfect iOS and iPads, they're confronted with a black box and you don't really mm, know what is going behind, going on behind. And that's mm -hmm. how I also feel about this AI art. You know, you create something, but you're actually not diving deep into any kind of systematic thinking that's all done by the engineers and we are just confronted with a perfect product and I'd, yeah I, I wonder how you can still foster curiosity in in people to actually learn all those principles if it's such so much it's only so much easier to just get an output straight away but so so that's that's where I also still have you know like I'm almost done with my struggle with AI, but I still have like a few things to think about. Which is when I when I was using V-Ray for instance back in the day, uh, it was really hard to render um, uh, hyper-realistic images first of all because it was just hard, and uh, you you needed to know about you know lighting, uh, materials. You needed to know about everything. I took actually physics classes to so I understand what what to do you know in this you know it was weird like threshold what do you mean threshold i'm an artist <laughs> so cool i mean that's awesome i love that that motion design can be a gateway mm -hmm. to so many different disciplines also out of the just regular creative profession that that's, that's super nice Exactly. I mean, that's what it pushed me actually to do. And I understand how light works and understand where, what, how, what kind of camera I should use, like the, all of those, you know, small settings that, it, that, that, that I could render an image. And after that, it was harder actually to even render animations because it's a complete different thing. You needed to bake things, whatever, or cache things. And, uh, so through these challenges, I, I learned a lot. Nowadays, with Redshift or any other, you know, plugin, I'm just I'm trying to use, you know, plugins here for the listeners that don't know anything about this. It's just those are just, you know, new ways of of, of rendering um, that don't really have. You don't really have to know the whole process of making an image. You just basically sometimes you just drag and and, and drop materials that already are set up. And um, I feel like, or I I think that it's almost the same as AI that you don't have to do that much you just need to um, do 
you know the the the, the minimum thing and uh, so that's that's the question like do you want to learn more are you curious about reality are you curious about life are you are you a person that is outdoor you know you want to I, I sometimes work outside and you know like i grab like a leaf scan it try to get you know try to get the materials try to recreate that in 3d i mean who does that nowadays right like i mean you just you know go to a 3d scan uh library just grab you know what i mean so so it was that simple it is that simple today but i i still have that curiosity i think that's the difference between um between this and that i still like to to ask you for instance you know uh, and uh, get get your thoughts about this topic i still research a lot about uh, about these kind of topics because i'm still curious and um yeah i think it's not good it's not bad it's just technology double-edged sword and i think that also separates let's say people that just want to do it for like getting a lot of views or likes mm -hmm. or even only to make money with it or right. people that kind of see it as a medium to to explore the world through own creations mm -hmm. and maybe yeah, that's the difference of being an artist or being only a commercial designer but it's yeah a tourist yeah tourist Philippe, uh, thank you so much, man. I really, I really appreciate the fact that you came to the podcast. Uh, it was, it was, um, you know, it was, it was enlightening to to hear your your part from 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 the you know the motion design space and uh, and also your thought process. Um, Racial is not real. It's really interesting. You know, it's a really interesting uh, uh, website that you came up with, with, with the whole idea about the systematic design. So thank you, man. I really appreciate that. This is a great start of this year. We, um, I think you are the first one for 2020, 23. So let's celebrate, man. <laughs> yeah, it was so cool. I wish you all the best for 2023. Keep it yes. up. And yeah, it's super cool that you're holding the community together. I, I, I like that. <laughs>